This is producer Rachel with a warning that the pod you are about to hear contains some, as Arlo White would say, fruity language. To the pod. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Live from a sold-out theatre of the living arts. Roger. Living arts. Living arts. Living arts. In the decidedly non-crap part of Philadelphia. The, the cri- in, in, the, um, in, in the crap part of Philadelphia, there's a, um, a theatre of the dead arts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not the living arts. On day 23 of World Cup... Two- oh, that's a typo. On day 23 of Euro 2018. <laughs> it's the Men in Blazers Across America Road Trip Podcast. <laughs> oh, Roger. Philadelphia. It is incredible to be here in Philadelphia. Devo, you've always said, and this is only you that says it, trust the process. And you told me if I trusted the process, we would be here in the cradle of liberty. This magical kingdom. Built of wawas. Oh, I love the wawa. I, I miss the wawa. Oh, I love the wawa. I love the wawa. Oh, Some the f- of my happiest memories were in wawas. Oh. And the Philadelphia Union. Yes. Sons of Ben. And the home of your Super Bowl winning Philadelphia Eagles. A team who proved that you can suffer, be made to feel inferior, occasionally doomed, and still overcome it all to seize your moment and experience glory. You see where I'm going with this. A feat which gave hope to every fan of every team, even the United States men. May we all one day climb Crisco-covered street poles. (laughs) I've told Everton, you win the trophy, I'll buy the bloody Crisco. May we one day climb those poles to celebrate men's World Cup victory. There's just 2,472 days till the start of World Cup 2026. (laughs) Who's counting? All I want to say is fly, Eagles, fly. Before we get into this, talking about flying, I want to raise a bud to my partner in life and pod, Michael Davis, who, by the way, you guys very nearly watch Rog do a solo show. (laughs) Dave, what happened? Uh, Took off from Long Island MacArthur Airport, Islip. The call letters of that airport are not FCO. (laughs) And uh, we took off, we circled around a bit, Flew halfway to Philadelphia, then went back again yep. and landed at Islip. I you, got here, many of you saw me outside about 45 minutes before the show, which yep. is good. You guys. Which means I'm going to cold read another show, just like I've cold read every podcast we've ever done. Devo dictated. Trust the process. Dedi- Trust the de- process. That is dedication that that man is here today, is all I will tell you. you yeah. g- Trust the process. Yes. 
you guys just avoided by about that much me doing a solo reading of the vagina monologues on my own. <laughs> you know how lucky you are. Oh, how long have we wanted to come here, David? Oh, we've wanted to come here so long, Rog. I did reveal to Rog before the show, which I've never told him before, that Philadelphia is the home of the love of my life. This is where I fell in love for the first time, perhaps the only time. It's Jay Ajayi. Oh. <laughs> I, I love him too. Kami, Kami. No, she's not here. It's Kami. Again, they, Rog. In didn't all, come again. In all seriousness, everybody has one love of their life. Yeah. David live, lives in Philadelphia. Yeah. And by the way, we're hoping by the way, that she's here tonight. She's not <laughs> she's seen her not. in eight years. She's not. At any point tonight, reveal yourself, Carmine, and we will Carmine. play I've Had the Time of My Life. And just let Spent eight years coming here almost every other weekend. I love this city. I love Philadelphia. I love the Eagles. I love the 76ers. I love this place. That's why they call it the city of Devo Love. Yeah, I've played cricket on the main line even, Rog. Okay, we've long wanted to come to the city of brotherly love, a town that gave the world so much that it holds dear. Like Daryl Hall. Oh, come on. <laughs> Joan Jett. Yeah. Will Chamberlain. Yeah. And Jake Bloody Tapper. Yeah. <laughs> Philadelphia, not just the birthplace of America, Rog, but it could also lay bold claim to be the birthplace of American soccer. And I don't mean that as any disrespect to you, Portland. You, you just invented soccer. Philadelphia could be the cradle, because your history, it always amazes me. In 1911, the city had five amateur leagues and one professional league. Pro-Rel, baby. Yeah. Legendary teams have thrived here. Philadelphia's Fleischer Yarn. Yeah, sorry, let's do this properly. Philadelphia's Fleischer Yarn. Yeah. That, that would be a great throwback jersey. <laughs> Bethlehem Steel FC. Yes! And the one that scares me the most, the Philadelphia German-Americans. Good Josie, good. That was their catchphrase. <laughs> so good, Julian. De decades before. Decades good, before. Timmy, good. <laughs> yeah. Back in the days when all American soccer teams had proper great names and did not, by law, have to be called Sporting FC United. <laughs> American soccer heroes were forged here like the late, great Walter Barr. A man who cut his teeth. Look at him, amazing. Playing for local teams, the National, the Ulrich Truckers. Oh, the Truckers. Are there no Ulrich Trucker fans? What's wrong with you? The Ulrich Truckers! And United German-Hungarians! That's also slightly scary. Uh, that was the man who provided the assist for the Joe Gaetjens goal that undid England in that 1-0 victory in 1950, America. Okay, Rog, and the remarkable township of Delran, which has given us both Peter Vermes... The original Captain America... And Carly Lloyd... The embodiment of tenacious professionalism and American glory. Yes, Rog, to commemorate being here in your magical city, we want to bring producer Rachel to the stage to take a photo. Stand up, put your buds in the air, Philadelphia. Let's be seeing you. And when I raise my bud, I want you all to shout out the name of the best cheesesteak in Philadelphia.
Producer Rachel, everybody, and your producer Justin. Oh, okay. <laughs> By the way, that crap about the best cheesesteak. We we have never had more shit from our fans than when we went to eat a cheesesteak. We were like the first oh. time we ever came, like innocents. We went to Gino's and Pat's. I know we learned. We heard from you. You like you guys were like with a voice over Twitter. You were like, what the fuck? Go to gyms. So we came back, we went to gyms, and everyone was like, you idiot! You idiot! Okay. And, and we realized that we went, then we went to Steve's, and people told us to go back to gyms. And we realized, like, Middle East peace is easy. The best cheesecake, cheesesteak in Philadelphia, the best cheesecake is very hard. That's for yeah. beginners. The best cheesesteak. Yeah. Too much. We're yes, going to crack it by the end of this, David. Very true, Rod. Just like the song says, Jet Black Ben's Plenty of Friends and all the Philly steaks we can eat. Let's have a toast to kick this evening off, Rog. Oh, I feel weird in my waistcoat, I've got to be honest. It's not, I feel like, like a bar mitzvah boy. But let me raise my first third bird of the evening. <laughs> Actually... Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Facts. Facts. I want to make a toast. I just want to say publicly how hard I found Wednesday and Thursday. You mean as opposed to the Twitter thing you sent out the, saying that publicly? The, the two rest days okay. to get through with no World Cup football at all. And I want to thank all of you here for your love and support at this difficult time. Today's World Cup return, it feels like the return of a lover that you adore to the bottom of your heart, a bit like What's-Her-Name. <laughs> <laughs> but one like What's-Her-Name. Carmi, 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 Carmella. She's here tonight, I know. No, she's not. <laughs> Again. But one that you know is ultimately just going to leave you. Thanks. But when you... <laughs> Football's always a metaphor for something, isn't it? But when you're with them and you have them in your arms, you never feel more alive. Uh -huh. So I want to raise this bud to living in the minute, to witnessing heroes being made, villains revealed, to fake diving, fake injuries, own goals, and even third place games, because we're going to crave them as we get That's towards the end. That's a big one. I just drink. Best game of the World Cup. <laughs> I just want, maybe England might be in that one. I want to drink it all up. I want to drink it all up. And I raise this bud, bud fam, blood fam, to taking nothing about this World Cup for granted and sharing these moments collectively with everyone in Philadelphia and the lesser rest of the world. Cheers, Rog. Love you, Rog. Okay, Rog. David. We are going to break down today's action from Rogue State 2018 in just a moment. But before we delve into the lesser Men's World Cup, we want to take a moment and revel in the real World Cup, the Women's World Cup. Which is just 336 days away. There are few people more qualified to do that than our first guest, Rod. She's only won the bloody thing bringing it back to America in 2015 with your U.S. women's national team. 
since emerging as a Malcolm Jenkins-style hard-hitting centre-back during that tournament. She's made the switch to defensive midfield and claimed 2017 U.S. Women's National Team Player of the Year honours. She may play for the Chicago Red Stars in NWSL, but this is a player with some serious Philadelphia ties. We welcome to the stage the one and only Julie Ertz. joy to be here with you in your adopted city of Philadelphia. You moved here to be with your husband, Zach, who plays for the, only the Super Bowl champion, Eagles. <laughs> You've credited your move to the Philadelphia area as a factor that has led to your success as a player. When you moved to question. Philadelphia. <laughs> I like they were cheering so loud I couldn't hear anything. Juliet's everybody. <laughs> Moving here to Philadelphia, when you've talked about it, you've pinpointed it as a moment you took that next step in terms of your own career. Yeah, Zach um, got drafted here, and we're both West Coasters, so um, didn't know much about the East Coast. So we kind of, you know, moved out here together. And, you know, I think for me, trying to become, you know, have a career with the national team, it allowed me to kind of get tough skinned. I had to learn a lot about myself. I didn't know anyone out here. We had no family, no anyone. So you began to train with Carly. Yeah, I trained with Carly. Carly was great. You know, she took me under her wing. Um, they're out in uh, New Jersey, like you talked about. So just over the bridge. Um, yeah. And James and her and I had a blast while James, I James, her coach, her coach. Yeah. Um, go on this. Yeah. So it was great. I got to go and support Zach's, uh, all the Eagle games as well as I could train with Carly. And, um, yeah, it was a huge blessing. Oh, it moved you next level. And here's what's amazing, sliding doors fans. If Zach had become a Cleveland Brown, <laughs> life for the US women's national team might have panned <laughs> out very differently. Here's what I want to talk to you about. By the way, wearing a waistcoat, I feel naked. I feel like I'm up here totally naked. No sleeves. It's, it's so weird because I actually, I actually now take you more seriously. <laughs> Lads, three at the back, three at the back. <laughs> Penalties. Um, <laughs> here's what you need to do. Don't be like me. Go. Um, <laughs> it's coaching. It's coaching, guys. It's coaching. Speaking of Zach, back in January, the month here that's known officially as the Eagles NFC Championship victory over Minnesota. In our calendar, Dave or mine, that was a U.S. women's national team game against Denmark in California. Mm -hmm. And in an amazing moment, you were overcome with emotion at the final whistle. You heard that the Eagles won, no surprise. And Zach was a Super Bowl-bound football player. The media asked you about that moment over and over and over. But what we want to know is, why was the media not immediately being like, Zach, the US women's national team won 5-1. They won 5-1. Yeah, right. Came from behind. Yeah, what's, what's with that? 
I mean, yeah, I wanted to be there celebrating with you guys, obviously, as well. Um, but, yeah, you know, we had a game, and we had to take care of business on our end. Um, but I was just grateful because you guys could celebrate for me here. Um, and then I could be able to go to a game that I actually could, however, however it worked, that I could actually go to the game um, was a miracle. But I was so thankful that I could actually be at the Super Bowl game. Oh. Okay, let's, let's. Okay, let's, let's move to some lesser football. Not American football, not, not women's association football. Let's go to men's association football. How bad a case of World Cup fever have you got watching the men's World Cup? No America. Whom have you been cheering for and why? Um, before the tournament started, Zach and I picked our team. Zach chose Argentina. Oh, um, Zach. And I went with Belgium. So. Oh. Yeah. What, 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 yeah. what was it about that you just moved to the number six position? Were you just like, Fellaini? <laughs> yeah, I honestly was a fan when I watched them four years ago. Um, you know, I thought they were great, and I thought that they had more to prove this year. Um, and then I'm a huge DeBruna fan, so that was a big reason. Yeah. Okay, amazing, amazing, amazing. When you watch the Men's World Cup, does the theatre... The crowds, the pageant, are you watching it like, yeah, I'm watching the men's World Cup, I'm watching the sixes, I'm watching, you know, I'm watching, I'm learning, I'm, pff, I could beat that guy. <laughs> or are you like, you know what, I'm watching the undercard for the main event, France 2019. Are you, does, it, does it make you excited for what is to come? Um, I think the thought of it is super exciting, but um, our team has only talked about October. Uh, we have qualifying this October. So that's really all. My family doesn't even talk about 2019 um, or anything. We're just basically October, October, October until after that. I love that approach. I genuinely never take qualification for granted. <laughs> I never play two teams at the same time, ever. One notion, one note of caution from this Men's World Cup. Defending champion, you may have heard of them, Germany. Yeah. They entered, they entered as favourites, and they crapped out in the group stage. I mean, uh, uh, there was a complacency, there was a staleness from one cycle to another. When you... <laughs> Thomas Muller's in the crowd. Nice to have you. Welcome, welcome, Thomas. Yeah. Do, does that give you pause for thought? And just how hard is it to defend the title? Like, do you watch what Germany did and be like, I need to, we, we need to learn from that? Yeah, absolutely. I think especially when you're the defending champ, you're going to have a team, um, whoever you play against is going to have a different approach to the game versus whether it's tactically most likely. So you got to be able to be ready for whatever they throw at you. Obviously, this game, this whole tournament's kind of been a lot of transition as well. Um, and I don't think necessarily like they were ready for that transition as well. But I'm sad because obviously it's a lot of great players that I would have loved to watch go further on. Wow, amazing segue for my next question. Transition, one difference between... 19 and 15, the style in which the U.S. women's national team looked likely to play after falling to Sweden in the 16 Olympics. Manager Jill Ellis, she shifted the U.S. from an athletic run-and-gun style to one that's more possession-based, and you have moved from centre-back to more of a number six role. Talk about the challenges of those changes. Um, I think the major challenge is just the difference of the speed of play as being a centre-back versus six. I think um, 
being defensive-minded um, as a midfielder, being a, obviously a defensive midfielder, uh, it's kind of that you just have that defensive mind, which I already had as a center back. I just think the quickness of play was really the only major dis difference in there because you have to be aware three, like all the way around um, a full 360. 360. Um, versus obviously just being able to see the everything whole field. in front of you. Yeah. Right. So that's been like the, I think the biggest challenge is just the speed of play of that you're gonna get. You're going to get who, hit hard if you, if you play too slow. Well, especially by you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, that's a relief. The only person that can hit you really hard is you. That's yeah. like, um, who do you look at in this World Cup and are like, I, I, I like what you're doing as a number six? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think Conti's a great six. I think um, Busquets has been a great six that I've watched all the time. De Bruyne play, can play everywhere. He sees what the game needs. He comes back as a defensive and he comes as attacking. That's why he's my favorite to be able to kind of read what the game needs, where he can slow it up and, and speed it up and slow it down and all that things need. So those, obviously, I feel like are... Watching France today, by the way, I was convinced that there were three N'Golo Kantes on the field. <laughs> I said, they're sweaty, sweaty. There were three of them. He was in three places simultaneously or within like a microsecond of just each other. Just three today. I know, just three. It was a bad day for N'Golo Kante. <laughs> Julie, three years and one day ago, you and your teammates, but mostly you, lifted the World Cup in Vancouver. <laughs> and the bad news is the U.S. women's national team, in the past, defense of the title has been a challenge. A bit like Chelsea. You've often gone one on, one off. Well, you wouldn't know what it's like to defend one. <laughs> Fair. There. <laughs> Don't take away my losing. <laughs> when you put your head on your pillow at night, do you allow yourself to dream and think about what it would like to be in the World Cup in France? Or, or is it just, do you, do you shut that out of even your dream life? No, I think my dream life is a little bit different. I think I like to picture kind of that, I, that ideal moment of um, ho hopefully scoring and all those fun things to think about in the game as well. But From your own half. From my own, my own thought process <laughs> that like, I could just <laughs> stay in 65 my, yards. Right. Oh, volleyed. Man, amazing. Yeah. On I a sort of it's a like 360 a pirouette. Past memories and like hopefully future memories as yeah. well. So I think it's just a mixture, but that's just, those are my own thoughts. Absolutely. Okay, Julie, we revere you. Rog really can't do. wait for the Men's World Cup to be over just so that the world can dedicate its total focus to the big one, France 2019. We know that thousands of our listeners feel the same about you and your squad, to you, to your continued success, to American glory. Let's hear it, Philadelphia, for Juliet. We begin with a phenomenal game of football that wrapped up just a few hours before we took the stage tonight. Holy La shit! Belgique, Belgica, two, Brazil, one. Belgium stormed out to a 2-0 lead thanks to an early Fernandinho own goal and a 31st-minute Kevin De Bruyne howitzer. Wow, what a goal. Brazil, Brazil 
pulled one back in the second half via the Chinese Super League's finest, Renato Augusto. And in the dying embers with the Sela Sao baying at the door, Thibaut Courtois turned them away with those massively long Inspector Gadget arms to preserve the lead and send your good mate, Rog, Roberto Martinez, into the semi-finals. Bill. He'll be dancing to Jason Rulas tonight. Yeah. De oh, Jason Derulo, right? Yeah, Whoever the that? hell it is. Belgium are just a poor man's Everton. <laughs> shoot, shoot, I said it, you thought it. This Nobody was, thought it. This was, a <laughs> this was a game in the crunch time of the World Cup. Serious crap, steel on steel. Brazil's best team since 2002 against Belgium's best team of all time. It was like the Battle of the Bastards. Neymar, Coutinho, Hazard, KDB, Lukaku. It was a nipple tingler of the game from the off. From the off, this happened. Thiago Silva missed from Breck Shea range. Seven minutes in. I just love this. By the way, this I adore. This is my favorite picture of the World Cup. It's like a Rembrandt oil painting which is entitled, The Agony of Tiago Silva. <laughs> You're wondering how I got here. Um, I've got to say this. God love Robbie Martinez, soon to be the US men's national team manager. He was once Everton's slightly over-optimistic manager. And in this game, Davo, it really was, it was like, it was like no risks, no reward. It was all risks, big tactical risks. He knew that Brazil were without their defensive midfield shield, Casemiro. Yeah. And he just decided, I'm going to throw my three jewels, my BGs, Azard, Romelu Lukaku, and KDB charging up the middle. I'm going to put, I mean, what was amazing, Azard and Lukaku on the flanks. Yeah, you went to a 4-3-3, Rog. It was uh, just what Big Sam wants England to do. <laughs> because everyone listens to Big Sam. But uh, he went to 4-3-3, and it was a, a major tactical change. And the front three of Belgium, uh, wow, those four, four, three former teammates at Chelsea, Rog. You know, no, we're, the only running, thing I would have loved we're running such a great club. <laughs> I mean, such great management. The only thing that we missed in this game was Batshuayi running on and kicking <laughs> yeah. the ball in his own face off the post. Yeah, what so right. So right. Uh, and the, those three words, class personified, class personified, in what was a close opening 45 minutes, but it didn't seem that way based Be on the score. Because Brazil were panicked also. I mean, a number of times in that first half, because they were all locked in, those three. That was amazing. Hazard, we've talked before, he flicks it on, he flicks, he was locked in. Lukaku, locked in. It was like Lukaku was like, Robbie Mart Martinez said, you're only playing Arsenal, go for it. <laughs> and KDB, <sighs> next level KDB. And the number of times in that first half, a Brazilian went to kick a Belgian and were just left pissing in the wind, who's not been there. And Brazil, that was what was weird. They've been so strong defensively this World Cup, this cycle, to be honest. I mean, but they also knew since 2002, they had not beaten a Western European team at a World Cup. They'd lost four times in that run. And there was like that psychological 
weakness in the head. Can we keep up with the high-octane football that comes out of the West, or wherever the hell it is in relation to Brazil? It's actually the complete opposite. It's the Northeast. <laughs> that was why they were confused. <laughs> and they conceded twice in the first 45 minutes, which was as many times as they had in the previous 10 months. They hadn't been playing football that whole time, but... I mean, the first was the bastard offspring of the World Cup of set pieces meets the World Cup of own goals. Fernandino, Davo, what was he doing? Um, yeah. I'd say his body's in an awkward position. <laughs> and we've seen some bizarre things. We've seen defenders reaching up and making handballs. We've seen some bizarre own goals. We've seen some bizarre decisions. It, made by defenders, it is just the adrenaline gets to them in the, crucible and they do, in the crucible of pressure and they do weird things. He was only being challenged by his own teammate here. That's yeah. what's amazing. Gabriel Jesus. Look at Witzel isn't even looking anywhere near the ball or the goal. <laughs> Witzel, Witzel might have seen one of the advertiser hoardings and he's like fascinated by w it. Witzel is like, Witzel's like, holy shit, bro. <laughs> and William's like that Spider-Man meme pointing at Witzel being like, same here, bro. Yeah, Willian and Witzel are involved in a completely <laughs> different conversation here. I love it. Has love nothing it. to do with the game. I love it. 11th own goal of the tournament. If you told me that own goal would be winning the golden boot, I would have believed you. <laughs> but if you told me that own goal would be getting the golden boot without Phil Jones or Gary Cahill getting them. on the score sheet, I would Neither have said you mad, bro. you mad, bro. Neither of them on the score sheet. But it, isn't it amazing, Rog, to watch Belgium? Belgium. This is a country which literally, back in the old days, I used to drive through Belgium to get to Holland, and it was one side of a C60 cassette. 30 minutes, you didn't even have to flip it over, and you were all the way through Belgium. You would put it in before you got to Belgium, and you were you reminded as you crossed the Dutch border to turn it over and go to the other side. Yeah. Belgium, go against Brazil in, in the World Cup. So, kids who don't understand what a 30-minute cassette is... Uh, we used to have to pay on music on these plastic things. It lasted 30 minutes. And so unless you had auto-reverse, you had to eject it, take it out, and put it back in again. So to make this sensical you know. to a, uh, someone under the age of 30, here's what Davo's saying. In the time it took him to listen to the Adam and the Ants debut album, he had driven by Lukaku's mum, Kevin De Bruyne's mum, Vertonghen's mum, Vermaelen's mum. He'd driven past... Just Everyone's mum. More, more, more world-class talent than he had in hours of playing cassette tapes in England, driving up and down. But, Rog, Belgium took on Brazil yep. with no fear. This is a no. Brazil team who, when we were growing up, you'd have played against Brazil, Belgium wouldn't have touched the ball. It would have all been like, you know, Witzel. They would have been looking somewhere else as it was going on. Yep. As Willian is, like, juggling it and holding it on his back for a while and, like, flipping it. Nutmegs, everybody's getting megged everywhere. It's like the highest like, it would be like the Washington Generals playing the Harlem Globetrotters. And instead, it was like Belgium playing Manchester United. It was, pretty much. <laughs> Just Brazil, bro. And this was the first time that Brazil had trailed in 392 days. They'd only lead once this whole World Cup. And in that first half, they were really rocked. I mean, Belgium were man-marking Polinho with Chadley in a Spurs burst on Spurs burst duel, which just... <laughs> just constipated Brazil's supply lines. And Belgium was so dominant for long spells of that first half, they even deprived Neymar of the chance to do what he does best. 
which was to get on the ball and then just suddenly, inexplicably, fall over. <laughs> I think... I think my he's, he's world class. Oh, he's amazing. Best ever. Oh, the, I mean... The GOAT. Without a, the I, GOAT. I'll give you that, bro. Yeah. But without a doubt, he has spent this whole World Cup... Somebody watched the video today. He spent 14 minutes this entire World Cup on the floor. <laughs> which is... Which is about ha stats. half as long as he spent on Paulinho's back celebrating one of his goals. <laughs> but... Belgium were just like Lakers showtime. It was like Roberto Martinez. He was like, I'm like a ball Pat Riley, bro. And KDB. Can we hear it for KDB? He was just at the heart of all that was good. I mean, I've never seen a footballer who knows instinctively where his teammates are the second he gets the ball. It's sixth sense. And when Belgium next broke, Lukaku stormed through. Hand down, man down. This happened. Y sigue Lukaku, se le va algo largo y sigue con pelota dominada. Qué buena pelota. Jugó para De Bruyne, es el segundo. Viene, tiró el gol. I mean, how much better is that on Telemundo? It wasn't that good on Fox. Let me, let me translate what they said on, on Telemundo. They said, Manchester City 2, Brazil 0. By the way, I knew that was a goal the second Romelu dished that ball off to KDB because he dished it off to the Ginger King, a man who has been waiting for that moment since he was a tiny child. In a Bruegel painting. Yes. With a beautiful penis. Bruegel. <laughs> Bruegel's done ages. Are we talking about a different Bruegel? No, KDB's undoubtedly got a beautiful penis. No, okay. no, it's not an argument. Okay. But he has been waiting for that goal, that ball to drop on his foot, like baby Sam Allardyce has been waiting for a mythical pie filled with gold to drop in front of him. <laughs> what I loved about the goal, the Brazil... <laughs> <laughs> He's got a beautiful penis. The Brazil defender. I've got a better dream of pies of gold. <laughs> Since I was a little child, mummy said a pie of gold. Uh. Everton were your pie of gold, you fat bastard. <laughs> the Brazilian defenders didn't know whether to back off or shut him down. I mean, would he shoot the three? Would he drive to the basket? It was like Russell Westbrook, KDB, like clutch sports, you spell it with a K. It was good, and, like, every, we were all, and everybody was stunned. <laughs> Come on, he's asking for it. Just give it to him. Thank you. Thank you. Clutch Sports has got a beautiful penis. And then suddenly, Rog, the World Cup became the Euros. 2-0 up. What Brazil, everybody's assumed that Brazil, with the teams left in it, Brazil, have got to win the whole thing. And suddenly... Oh, no, 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 yeah. no. And that, oh, no, 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 was said in Japanese because the Japanese knew that 2-0 in a World Cup final-ish thing, <laughs> quarter-final, huge mistake because Brazil brought on Firmino and they attacked with a... They, that's James Milner. Yeah, co-bro. They attacked with a relentless zeal. I mean, they were just so creative, so artistic, so swashbuckling, so... Potent, 27 shots. 
I mean, 27 shots, you have them when you know that you're attacking a Roberto Martinez defence. <laughs> they didn't have a penalty when company flattened he Jesus because VAR knows that Man City or Man City violence is the only one that's still legal. Yeah. And when, they were when he was called upon, Courtois, Dave, Courtois. I mean, he was like a, uh, a freakishly large Jordan Pickford, wouldn't you say? I'd say it was. A stretched out Jordan Pickford. Well, that's how he describes himself these days, <laughs> uh, Rog. Ten yeah, when, saves. When Courtois is on, he is the best keeper in the world. His, I would say that Courtois' high, for me, his elite level, is better than any other keeper in the world. Unfortunately, his mid-range is not as good as Jack Butland. <laughs> but it's a when he's good, he's amazing. But that, that, that form, he self-described as come and get me Real Madrid form, and it was fantastic. <laughs> and football, yeah, I mean... What was the clue? I want to spend more time with my children who live in Madrid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be playing for Chelsea next season, I'm sure, when you frame it like that. But football, such a game of momentum. Brazil, honestly, you've talked about this with me. They could have scored four in that second half. This is football, Rog. This is football. Had they played this game 10 times, would Belgium have won it 2-0? This is not the World League. This is not a League World Cup. They don't play 10 times. They play one-off games. And historically, it's always been difficult to make that argument because Germany or Brazil always end up winning the bloody thing. But these are single elimination games played in neutral sites with decisions, bounces, cards that go sometimes the right way, sometimes the wrong way. And today, they just weren't there. They didn't start playing until they were 2-0 down. And that Belgian midfield that suddenly seemed like one minute was like a slipknot choke chain, suddenly just seemed broken. There was the breakthrough, Coutinho, that stunner of the cross, a love-making cross. And Renato Augusto, of, I know you're a lot of Beijing Guan fans here tonight. I mean, when he came on, the whole world just said, who the fuck is that? There's like, it was like... <laughs> A collective, ooh. Yeah. yeah. And then he rose up like a salmon on the Chaboy River in Beijing. And he glanced in majestically <laughs> past Courtois. No, I knew that, mate. I've drunk <laughs> it. the top of my head. No, I did. I've had, I drunk it once, and I've had intestinal worms to this day. And, the, you know, was Brazil going to fold? Was it going to Japan? Neymar even came alive. Dude playing in his fifth World Cup game of this tournament. Somehow, with his seventh haircut of this tournament. Amazing, right? Charged down the flank, set up guilt-ed chances for everyone, even Coutinho, only to have them go wide and wild. And then, because of his soap opera antics all tournament long, Neymar, who, by the way, in your language, he's entered the, the, the ether of Diego Costa, Luis Suarez, Pepe, Defenders now know, you know what? We can, like, literally, we can grot this human being in the penalty yeah, it's area. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. VAR is like, do not compute, do not compute, do not compute. You can do whatever okay. you want to that man right now. And so Brazil are out. Let's hear it for them, because they were fantastic in this second half. Oh, oh. A lot of Argentinians here tonight. And by the way, that will be no solace in Brazil tonight, because they are a, still a win-all or have a national tragedy team but the odd thing about this it was no shock anymore that Brazil lose a World Cup game it's like the Brazil aura is like the Manchester United aura it's like oh Manchester United they didn't win the league 
Yeah, it felt like this year was going to be different, Rog. It felt like this time was going to be different. Not now. It's Fa now just the Euros, Rog. Farewell to this man. A gruen-ass man. Even He's Cla not even Brazilian. He's just... Uh, even Claire Danes thinks, oh my God, that man is ugly crying. How good are Belgium, David? Because they have faced death against Japan and survived a bit like Jeff Bridget and Rosie Perez in Fearless. Look, as we've said a lot in World Cups, teams gradually find themselves from the group stage through the knockout stage. Right now, you know, of the two teams who've played quarterfinals so far and won, I think Brazil look, a, I, mean, I think Belgium look a little better than, uh, than France. But it's a, these games are all so close. They are all so close. They turn on individual moments. Had Thiago Silva managed to not hit the post, if he'd gone inside the post, this game could have been so different today. It's a game of inches, of millimeters, Rog. And I love what GFOP at Tim J. Masterton wrote us. He said, with this photo, in what other sport can I be sitting in an office in New York City and be totally and simultaneously connected to a large Belgian man in Russia dressed as some French fries? <laughs> Belgique! That's got to be Eden Hazard's cousin. It does look a bit like Eden Hazard to me. We'd have to see Eden Hazard in the Belgian French fries costume to like. <laughs> that to may really be Thorgan sure. Hazard. Um, the World Cup, as you say, has become the Euros. That Belgium England final is going to be lit, right, David? <laughs> Are we going to play second strings again? Oh, no idea, Rod. At JD50958, I kind of bastardized some of those numbers because I'm a bit drunk. <laughs> he tweeted, he said, that game, Belgium England. It's going to go to penalties. England are going to win. Jordan Pickford will kick the winner. <laughs> well, they, they've, already, they've already had the reserves play each other, Rog, so they may as well have the first teams go up against each other. We will see, Rog. Okay, Rog, the team that we know Belgium are going to play in the next round, La France. They defeated an Edison Cavani-less Uruguay 2-0-2-0 in the first game of the day. Goals from Raphael Varane. And Antoine Griezmann, the latter courtesy of a horrific goalkeeping error. See Les Bleus Pogbants, Rog, into the semi-finals. Yeah, the Uruguayan striker failed in his bid to make the starting lineup, which kind of told us exactly what was going to happen. Instead, he smouldered impotently from the bench. Where exactly do you see his penis in that <laughs> photograph? I think it's implied. <laughs> okay. it, it looks like some kind of Uruguayan Tim Riggins. But, but as, as soon or as we... Tim Ream. <laughs> <laughs> he wishes. As soon as we saw him there, we knew how this was going to go. The French, they honestly, they barely broke a sweat. I mean, they are such an enigma, this French side, Davey. There's, there's no squad I've ever seen with more attacking talent. The fleet-footed Kylian Mbappe, the creativity of Anton Griezmann, the matinee-idle good looks of Olivier Giroud. Oh. War. I mean, I've got to say, it takes a special, special manager to make a team featuring that front three look so crap. <laughs> it would be like assembling an NBA team with, like, Steph Curry... Janice, Chris Stapps, 
Jason Tatum and Joel Embiid. And I'd be like, lads, I, I want you to grind away and rebound, and that will lead you to glory. Do you understand the way France set up to play the way they do with all of that offensive talent playing such negative football? Yeah, I just, this is a team of children. Rog, when you just watch their body language, you watch the way they speak to each other, the way they speak to their manager, the way their manager, the manager literally has to speak to them like they are toddlers when he's communicating with them. It's the most immature bunch of brilliant elite footballers of all time. He's like, if you score two goals today, you can play Fortnite for an hour after the game. <laughs> I'm not sure that they've graduated to Fortnite, Rog. There's a future coach of France heckling us here. I mean, it eventually did click into second gear, and that was enough. Early chances to Mbappe, the young warrior hero, didn't catch a break, headed high and wide with an early chance, as if, like, the ball was dropping, and he was like, my success. I'm just 19. Maybe I'm going to move to Real Madrid for $200 million, and he popped the ball over the bar. He, he, he'd later show his pedigree skill by flopping to the turf for no good reason at all. Yeah. Susan Lucci was like, yeah, take all the daytime Emmys. Yeah. <laughs> well, by the way, why is there so much unabashed flopping in this World Cup, Davo? I'm asking for America. It's so bizarre because they've got to know that in 4K, flopping is just, you just don't get away with it. Super slow-mo cameras in 4K Ultra HD technology. We do have replays. We can see everything that happens. And so it came. Uruguay gave up the most un-Uruguayan goal off a set-piece, finally. World Cup of set-pieces, World Cup of headers, defence static, Griezmann. He crossed the ball. It was just so exquisite. It was like a magician tugging a tablecloth off a table, leaving all the crockery. And Varane, off-maligned, he, he nicked in. He could have, like, if you'd looked in replay, he swooped in got the Uruguayan defenders, pulled their shorts down, gave them a wedgie and just flicked the ball into the corner. It, it was such a Giroud of a goal that God bless JP Della Camera. He shouts, Giroud! <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's weird on Telemundo they called Maradona. Um, the, for me, for me, this actually was the goal of the World Cup so far. Not only situationally, but technically, how difficult that was to do. To, to challenge in the air, it was a great challenge on him to just sneak in and get that glance on that header and put it into the side of the net. That is a goal I would dream of scoring. There's as a more than back. one meaty forehead on this team. Yeah. And by the way, Hugo Lloris, let's hear it for you. Any Spurs fans? He was there when he was called upon. First of all, to treat a local dragonfly with disdain. Can I say, Davo, real many dragonflies, right? Yeah. Here he's treating this dragonfly like how every Frenchman treats the rest of the world. <laughs> what was that? There used to be a, tea, a reality show where people used to like eat bugs and go and do those whole things. It was like. Fear Factor. It was like a scene out of Fear Factor, though. Yeah, and that Fear Factor knew that every human being has a line to draw. French, he eats snails. <laughs> that man eats horse meat. And if you were to say, but in Indonesia, we infuse our dragonflies with coconut and serve them over rice. <laughs> 
Despite this near-death experience, or maybe because of it, he was there to do this for Martin Casella. Looking pretty glad to save the race. Oh, what a save here. Almost a similar, a similar play that we just saw on the goal. And then the instinct to get right back up. <laughs> Tony Miola loves commentating on the goalkeeping. I bet Tony Miola was more like, why the fuck didn't you eat the dragonfly? <laughs> Bro. Um, Musselera, though, not so much. He went full on what can only be described by Tony Miola in his autobiography. As his autobiography is called, Mmm, Dragonfly, yummy. <laughs> he went full on Loris Carrius in disguise. He made a. Mbappé, aquí está para el remate. Sin embargo, la deja pasar Giroud en el zapatazo. You don't, you don't even get that on the beginning level of FIFA, Rog. You just, uh, goalkeepers don't make those kind of mistakes. By the way, this is a goal so bad that even Griezmann, who literally is on one of the most lucrative sponsorship deals in the world of sports to promote Fortnite, the game he truly lives for, doesn't give a shit about soccer. He didn't even, he was too embarrassed to even unfurl one of his crap sellies after that one. It, it was haunting. It was like, that, that goal was like watching a Loris Carrius tribute band perform. Who, who would want to be a goalkeeper, Davo? Really, really. I mean, you, you look at what they go through, what they have to suffer, and we only really talk about them in the dark moments. Jordan Pickford's had a good week, Rog. If you know the back page of the New York Post. So every now and then you get glory, but most of the time it's just miserable. Jordan's not and a... That's Miola's commentator. Jordan's not a, um, not a goalkeeper. He's a superhero. <laughs> but I was trying to think, who other than the goalkeeper is under that kind of scrutiny, I could only think of a closer in baseball. I mean, one minute, you're the wild thing. The next. There's one out and two runners on base in the bottom of the ninth inning. It's a two-on-two <laughs> two count. And you're facing Anton Griezmann. Too soon, too soon. And that was that. Cue Jimenez crying. I know Philadelphia people like that. People are crying. Can we just say, one minute you're playing football, the next you just start humming Tracy Chapman's For My Lover. And it doesn't matter if you're on a World Cup field or not, your bottom lip just goes. I want you to know that picture's entitled My Life. France, march on. It was crap, but let's give France credit, Davo. They met Uruguay's shithousery and they flicked it off with yeah. the ease that Loris dismissed that dragonfly, right? Yeah, absolutely. And France move on to the semi-finals. Many people, I haven't checked the bookmakers odds tonight, but I think earlier today, France were the favourites for the World Cup. They, and they should be. I mean, the odd thing about France, they have the talent to win it. But Didier Deschamps, their manager, he's just like, my first and second goals are to minimise risk. He's like the Buddy Ryan of World Cup football. <laughs> it's just like the football is brutal pragmatic, occasionally dour, so much less than it could be under a different manager. You imagine a Pochettino, a Klopp, a Pep managing this French team. They would be playing unbelievably swashbuckling front foot football. But really, as you say, who would want to play this France team? Rippled muscle, coiled fist, plus Giroud's pectoral muscles and human representation of the best sex you've ever had. They've really got it all. 
And shout out to N'Golo Kante, not because he's a Chelsea player, just because in this game he was just immense. As this man, he's literally four foot three inches tall. And he appears everywhere on the field, intercepts every single pass and makes every tackle. And is loved by this man. <laughs> With the baguette of victory. <laughs> the most cliched, stereotypical representation you will see outside of a Volkswagen Touareg commercial. <laughs> it's like an American taking a hamburger to a game. It's like wonderful. You couldn't have been more French if he just waved like a wave flag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a Jerry Lee Lewis best of CD yeah. while wearing a beret and holding up a sign that says, look at me, I'm self-entitled. Yeah. And I don't pay enough to NATO, apparently. Belgium will now play France in what is going to be the greatest battle since the Franco-Flemish War. I'm saying this because you were all thinking it between 1297 <laughs> and 1305. Here's, yeah. here's what the yeah, stats... Yeah, France and Belgium haven't fought a lot since, I can <laughs> tell you that. Here's what the stat lines don't say. The Flemish had to sue for peace in that one. Yeah, hello. But, but then again, they didn't that have... Bants. But then again, they didn't have Fellini playing. Bants. Bants. Can we have one final note from this game? We're going to have a word about this bloke. The referee. Yeah. Not Nest good. Nesta Batana, Davo. I mean, who is he trying to fool? The this cameras, 4K, I say again, are shooting from above. I know, where the fuck is VAR on this haircut? <laughs> Davo, this might, by the way, he claims just to be 42 years old, which is bullshit. He, he's a former actor, yeah, from Argentina. And I want to say this on the record, because I know Nesta Patana's lost it. I don't want to see you referee another match this World Cup. How can you trust a man who has so much complex comb-over action going? David, you're an expert. How many problem sectors are there here? Well, he looks okay in 3.1 and 3.3. Even 3.2. But he's got massive problems in 3.3, 3.4, and 3.5. And he's doing the extreme three-strand comb-over <laughs> from 3.7 towards 3.8. And it's just not fooling anybody. By the way, I just want to say, it's an honor to share the stage of a man that is an expert in Thank this you. crap. Here's what I know. A man who lies like this to himself cannot be entrusted with important decisions in football. No. Boldness is truth. Boldness is truth. Even Mark Geiger knows that. The VAR robot must be bald, Rog. The VAR robot must be completely bald. It probably is Pierluigi Kalina. Yep, the VAR certainly. robot's bald with a beautiful penis. All right, Rog, part of Men in Blazers across America is celebrating what's happening at the World Cup in the country, the Italians called Putanesca. The other part of the tour is an ongoing examination of the distinct, diverse, authentic football cultures <laughs> here in the United States, of which Philadelphia is a rare and remarkable one. You've got to feel a bit more for yourself than that, guys. Come on.
By the way, the first cheer was what is known as a Freddy Adu cheer. The second one... Too soon. ...is the cheer of a, a future Josh Sargent. Tim Weyer, God love. We want to explore on this tour what has to happen so that we can make sure the one rational, logical thing that we're all thinking happens. How can the US men defend their World Cup title on home turf in 2026? Okay, to that end, Rog, we are delighted to bring to the stage a US soccer legend, a man who thrilled us as a hard-charging midfielder, a son of Vegel in Maridistat, who spent 18 seasons in the Netherlands and the US as a player, earning over 100 caps with the men's national team and playing in three World Cups. He has spent the last 12 years on the technical side of the game with AZ Alkmaar in the Eredivisie, then heading over to become sporting director of your Philadelphia Union before answering the nation's call to become the first ever general manager of the US men's national team. We welcome back to Men in Blazers, the one, the only, Mr. Ernie Stewart. seen Ernie since my 23 and me revealed that I'm extraordinarily Dutch. Oh, sure. 73%. So, so, so much Dutch blood. Come there on, Ernie. Go. So I'm going to translate this interview Thank as you. these two speak in their own national tongue. Welcoming, Ernie. Thank you all. And way out my depth here. It's a joy to be with you on this stage, two Dutchmen and Rog. Yeah. Welcome and board. Thank you all. It's 24 years since I first saw you kick a ball in anger and in joy. Let's start off by taking you back to the 1994 World Cup. The USA are playing England's desired prey, Colombia, in the group stage. They are desperate for a win, the US, that could help them advance. They're 1-0 up, and then in the 52nd minute, this happens. Ronaldo will send it near side to Chad Ramos. This is good possession here. Ramos sending on to Ernie Stewart, the chip. Score! USA! I love two things. I love the way the commentator back in those days, the American commentator, all he knew how to do when there was a goal, he just knew, he shouted, SCORE! <laughs> like they had a card in front of him in big letters. Secondly... <laughs> Not touchdown. Not touchdown. <laughs> Could go all the way. I also love how you, like, we just played that on a video screen for those of you listening along. And Ernie, you barely looked at it. You looked down at the microphone. 
I mean, well, when, when you hear that, what, what do you feel inside? Um, yeah, proud, I guess. That's the, that's the best word. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the USA's first victory at the tournament in 44 long years. And that was an incredible ball from Tab Ramos, an incredible finish. Eric Wijnaldum, he once told me about that goal, which was executed exactly how Bora drew it up. He said, the only things in my life that could compare to the feeling, to the release I experienced during that goal was when a child was born. The only difference was there were 90,000 people with us right there in the delivery room. <laughs> what, what did that, in the moment, what did it feel like for you? It was uh, surreal. I mean, uh, just from a, from a standpoint that as, as a little boy, you always dream of being on a big stage and the World Cup is the biggest sport and uh, you know, the biggest event in the, in the world. And to actually be able to, one, to participate, be on a team, um, and then contribute with a goal is something that's, uh, that's very, very special. So um, I do have to say I was so young during the 1994 World Cup that um, that whole World Cup, the experience from day one till the end, is, it, it's a blur. So huh. it's, um, I don't know what that is. I guess you're so concentrated on yourself and, and making sure that you don't make mistakes and all this kind of stuff that you actually do not uh, enjoy the World Cup, and, and that's actually a shame. Do you remember, you know, we still, Rod and I, we love the stonewashed denim jerseys. <laughs> we regard yeah. them as the greatest football jerseys of all time. Do you remember when the team was first presented with them? Do you remember what you thought when they were revealed to you? I'll tell you what, I, I didn't really care at all what the shirt looked like. I just wanted to be on the team and wear a shirt. Yeah. Um, but I do remember, I, I don't know how it was revealed, but the first time that we saw it was like, whoa. <laughs> was that in English or uh, Dutch? That, and does that translate in the that same does way? does translate the same way. Okay. So, um, and I guess some things are, are um, so ugly that they become classic. So. Yeah. Like, like me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, wow. In a waistcoat. You know, yeah. Yeah, I, I did an oral history of the 1994 World Cup. Actually, I, in, I interviewed Alexi Lalas for the 94 World Cup. He told me they revealed, the, they, re, they revealed the U.S. jersey to the team at a meeting, and Marcelo Balboa just shouted out, no, bro, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. I did, I did, a, I did a, an oral history. It's called American Fiasco. It's available now yes. on, on WMYC. And once when we talked about this, the 94 <laughs> cycle, you told me about how much of a culture shock it was for you when you joined the US team. You were a man who played professional soccer in Europe. You started to join the US for international duty and you told me the reality in the early 90s could not have been any less big time. Back then, we played in New York and we would train in Central Park. We'd run around in the park and no one would recognize us. To say we were under the radar would to be kind. I mean, we've come a huge, we've come a long way since then. Have we come as fast and as far as you believed that we would? No, I think we can go way further. So, uh, and I, I, I do have to say, because now, it, now it'll look like we train in, uh, in Central Park every day. This was only one time. But um, at the same time, it was like, it, these days you will not see that anymore. And, um, and I do think uh, after the 1994 World Cup and the start of MLS and, and, and where we are now with soccer is, is 
you know, it's, it's tremendous. But I think there's a, the whole another level that we as the United States can go to, and that has everything to do with the facilities that we have, the money that's here, uh, the know-how that we have. It, it, there's a lot of things that I think uh, uh, are kind of like untapped still, and, uh, and we still have a, a good way to go, and that's very exciting. The U.S. had not missed a World Cup since you donned the American jersey, Ernie. What's it been like for you to watch a World Cup without the U.S. in it? Well, for me, it was also double. Yeah, um, no, no Netherlands. No either. Netherlands either. At least you, you know, you have something. Um, but no, I, I, I do remember the the night. It was it was devastating. I I, I was sick to my stomach that we didn't qualify. Um, um, so, so those are things. You know, it's it's not fun watching a World Cup in the, in the sense that you, you want to connect to a team, and once you have a team that you, you feel that passion all of a sudden, now it's actually really easy to sit back, relax, and watch the games. Yeah. Um, because I was born in Holland, I do have like this feeling for, for Belgium, so today I had a little bit of that, that taste, but it's not the same as when the U.S. plays. Is it a positive or a negative feeling for Belgium? Well, no, but it is true, because <laughs> in Holland, when they tell jokes, it's like in England they tell jokes, about people who are not that bright and they're Irish jokes. In Holland, <laughs> you tell jokes about Belgians being not that bright. Yeah, right? but we, yeah, Fellaini we, jokes. we do. Um, Fellaini, <laughs> Fellaini jokes, yeah. Fellaini that's jokes, is a, that's a subset of Belgian jokes yeah. in Holland. No, it is, it is true, but um, when it comes to a World Cup and everything, and when it comes to the Eurovision Song Festival, um, yeah. everybody Those is... Those the big ones. Everybody. <laughs> Uh, votes for and, and roots for the for the Belgians. Now, the uh. Germans are a little bit different. Yeah, well, there's some history there. There is some history. There is some history. Yes, there is. Yeah. The Germans are a little bit different. That is the <laughs> title of my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> Forthcoming. Good Josie. <laughs> Good Josie, yeah. Um, the best part of World Cup 2018 from an American perspective has been the news. That was a cheer for Mark, uh, for Mark Geiger. I'm not going to talk about him. <laughs> the news that the 2026 World Cup will be the World Cup of NAFTA. If, if NAFTA still exists. Mexico, Canada, and the mighty United States. I mean, seismic change is going to come to the sports here. The profile... Can you talk about what you expect, what you think it will do for the sports profile in the United States and how? Well, you know, one, you go back to 1994, and this was the, you know, and I know there were talks before that, but uh, MLS started. And, and now I think, you know, just it will propel uh, 2026 and having the World Cup here in the United States together with the other countries, obviously. But it will propel uh, soccer even further than it is right now. Um, I truly believe that uh, when we see all these young kids you know, in, in parks playing and, and everybody has a soccer ball these days. And this is something, you know, in, in Central Park in 1990, it was, that wasn't the case. So yeah. um, now we have the young that. kids were called the U.S. Men's National Team. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, if you have the youth, you have the future. And, and I, you know, in a, in a country like this with this many people, with this many athletes that we have, um, I think there's going to be a bright future. And 2026 is very important in that in so many ways when it comes to um, you know, the economics of the sport as well. Yeah, I mean, the economics are everything. I, we'll chat about those guys in a minute. I do want to ask a hard-hitting question of Ernie. Oh. We've oh. never had such bad blowback at Men in Blazers 
as when we went on a search for the best cheesesteak in Philadelphia, Eddie. <laughs> People went berserk. They really did. It was like we'd honestly, we'd honestly wandered into like the Middle East peace process. Can you weigh in, Ernie Stewart? We were told Jim's. We were told Pat's. We were told Delessandro's. <laughs> By the way, none of these people are playing for the U.S. men's national team. But just saying, <laughs> Ernie, pick Jim for God's sake. He's going to be there. Um, in your experience in Philadelphia, do you have an opinion that you can guide us where I should get a cheesesteak tonight, Ernie Stewart? Uh, I, I have to be honest. Um, I've only went one place, and that's Jim. So. To Jim's. We're all going to have a drink, and then I'm going to go to Jim's. Okay. I'm going to have several cheesesteaks. Sorry, Rog, but, but to some less important, way less important issues. When you look at this young crop of American players, Ernie, the U.S. men's national team babies, the Pulisics, the Tim Weyers, the Josh Sargents. Just how good can they be? And what do they need to do to fulfill their potential in your mind? Well, I, I, I think you've already uh, got a little bit of taste in the last games that we played um, with the national team is what they're capable of um, at this age already. And, 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 and Becoming a, a true professional and reaching the, the total height of your, your potential is, is like fine wine. Um, it comes with age. And um, just the potential and the talent that they have now already and, and then the experience that they're gaining right now, one, within their club, and two, being able to play at the highest stage there is in, in international games, um, there's a lot of potential there. And that says a lot about soccer in the United States and, and, and how it's evolved and how it's come along. Um, but there's some, some real good talent out there. Yep. What do you see is different about these kids than the kids who might have come through before? Um, I, I'd say it's more individual-based right now. Um, so I'd say the technique of these players is, is far superior than it was 20 years back. Um, and now we have to get that team concept, that team element back into, uh, you know, it's, it, Today, these days, um, and even in this World Cup, you can just see uh, once you are a team and you're collective in your thoughts yeah, uh, and absolutely. the way you play and, and the way you defend, you can get results. Um, there are all no small countries anymore. So no. There are no small countries anymore. Even big countries can't be small countries. I don't want to say that. I do. I watch the, I watch the World Cup, and right now, you tr the teams that are succeeding are the ones that are the true collectives, the Uruguays. I mean, even as we've seen over the past three years, the Icelands. I mean, you are a man who put on a U.S. jersey more than 100 times over a 14-year period, That's which is amazing. an incredible achievement. And you have now accepted the task of molding the game in this country. I mean, you are, Jen, a remarkable human being. I adore you. I first met you when you were at Altmar. I came over to interview Aaron uh, Johansson, yep, and you yep. were there, and I, I mean, just listening to you was to listen and learn. And you've dedicated that knowledge to growing the game in, in this country, America, which we both revere in an equal way, Ernie. When you're old and great, <laughs> like Dave, I, I shaved before I came here to get <laughs> out of the gray. Oh, it, it looks tight. It looks yeah, fantastic. Tight. It looks tight. I'm like, wow. Um, what? what what will it take for you to be satisfied with the game's progress in this country? Pool. That's a, that's a part of myself. I'm never satisfied, so I don't know what that's going to be um, like. But 
um, for this term that I'm, I'm going into right now, one of the things that I find very important is that when people identify themselves with the team that is on the field, that they can identify themselves with the team that is on the field. And, and that for me is success, and obviously that comes, with, that comes with winning as well, because winning is important, very important. Anyone here doesn't love winning? No, no we enjoy winning. To winning, to American winning, to Ernie Stewart. Ladies and gentlemen, can we hear it for the one and only, the soon-to-be GM of your US men's national team, Mr. Ernie Stewart. Genuinely think that man is a great American. Yeah, I absolutely. can see that now, David. Absolutely, Rod, you can because you are a fellow American. No. We fuck England, <laughs> which seems to have ushered. It seems that the curse of Rod has lifted on your the nation of your birth, Rod. In less than 14 hours, not that I'm counting, England will take on Sweden. the country of my ex-wife in a World Cup quarterfinal. Come on, England! That's followed by Russia versus Croatia. Time to take a prophetic shot of Jägermeister, Roger, and find out what's going to happen in these games. I'm dying to know. What is your Jägermeister telling you, Rogelio? Do you have two Meisters of the day now? No, it's terrible. I'm no, so, I'm no. Not oh. no, 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 no. Rog, 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 no. My Jägermeisters, all three of them, they taste of Jordan Pickford. That English Dikembe Mutombo. Who wants to sex Jordan Pickford? Really? I do. I didn't even cheer, but I do. I gotta say, I, I think he is the single greatest, tiniest goalkeeper of all time. He's, yeah, he's like the Muggsy Boogs of world football. He's gonna lock things up at the back. The worry for me and the challenge for England, Davo, who's gonna score the goals from open play? I mean, bar Harry Kane on penalties. Step up, Raz. Sir Raz awaits. Yeah. Jesse Lingard, maybe. We'll see. Okay, let's see what I'm going to find. Wow. Wow, I wanted it to be Ruben Loftus-Cheek, but it's not. It's a man. It's a man I spoke a little bit on our pod yesterday, Rog. My maestro of the day, not a man who a lot of people are going to highlight going into this one. In fact, in fact, well, no, not that one. In fact, this is the one who had his penalty saved against Colombia in that shootout. My maestro of the day... My maestro of the day is Jordan Henderson. Hendo. When Colombia equalized in injury time of that game, you looked at Hendo's body language, and it was one of a fantastic leader, a northerner in a southern club, Rog, willing to guide the ship to safety or go down with it. I would have loved to have seen the tongue lashing that Jordan Henderson gave Jordan Henderson after that game. In the mirror. 
in the mirror. Stupid Jordan Henderson. <laughs> but my mice of the day, Jordan Henderson. Okay, Rog, it has been a night of nights, Philadelphia. Let's continue it at the bar. We're going to be heading to Kavanaugh's Head House Square on 2nd Street for a few post-show Budweiser's. That's a solid bar name. We're going to find out what exactly a head house is. <laughs> it's a meaty French head house. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful penis. Bef oh, beautiful penis. <laughs> beautiful penis. That's it. Well, that's all we're going to take away from Philadelphia. Let's, let's get... What's, let's, we can get the T-shirt. Our, our merch guy is back there. We can get the T-shirts. We can get them printed by the time we leave the bar. Oh, we can get Neil Diamond to record it as a singer. It's a beautiful penis. Um, before we go, we do want to thank GFOP, Jay Wagner. He has been on this bonkers tour of America with us, parachuting into every stop to sell our merch. Stop by and see uh, the merch on the way out. Support his efforts. See the merch. Well, he, <laughs> just see it. I just, just look at it. I, no, no. Look at the merch. I don't like to. I don't like to suggest you go all the way. No, just look at it. I want to say, go to first base of our merch at least. I don't know. Support his efforts to sell our schmatter. Yeah. And our book. We uh, we wrote a book. Can we hear it from Main Street Books on? From Wayne, PA. Is anyone here from Wayne, PA? Support your local indie bookstores. We love Main Street Books. It's our top five in Wayne, PA bookstore. <laughs> and we are grateful for their support. We are genuinely grateful for your support, dear GFOPs, because I've got to pay for a bar for this year. You do, another one. And we want to thank GFOP Tony Award winner, John Johnson. <laughs> this is his last gig of the whole tour. Oh, and he, yeah, he's, yeah, he's going on vacation tomorrow. Yeah. He's not coming to Boston. <laughs> Boston, you're in for a shit show, dude. <laughs> we're going to... No, it's going to be great. Oh, sorry, Boston. I thought you were booing our gig in Boston, which is going to be genuinely terrible. Yeah, Boston. We're, we, we like all cities equally, Boston. I want you to know this. Um, Okay. Tom Brady. Uh, By the way, just so you know, Tom Brady loves the Philadelphia Union. That was off the record. John Johnson produces our stuff. He produces Broadway crap. He slums it with us. This tour's been a huge amount of work. Most of it has fallen on his Chelsea supporting shoulders. And uh, genuinely, we are we are both forever indebted to yes, John Johnson. Rod said we're off to Boston next Wednesday. Sold out, Rog. Our Budweiser Live FIFA World Cup final viewing experience is Sunday, Rog, July 15th at the Altman Building on 18th Street in Chelsea. That's New York's Chelsea. Featuring Charlie XCX, great friend of the pod, loves the pod, and Megan so it's, it's Rapino. Ch it's Charlie Adams' sister. Yeah. <laughs> Megan Rapino. XCX. Attendance works a little bit differently for that event and the rest of the tour. It's free, but to attend, you have to, you have to, you have to. RSVP at BudweiserLiveNYC.com. This next bit is important. RSVPing does not guarantee entry. You then have to be one of the first 700 people to show up in order to get in. But let us remind you, there will be free Budweiser and lots of it. The event starts at 8 a.m., so please, GFOPs, get there early. We also have a live show in Atlanta, Rog, at the Tabernacle. I'll tell you. 
intercity hatred is the best emerging trend for the future of American Let's soccer. Let's name other cities. Yeah. Columbus. Washington, D.C. Nashville. They've not even played a game yet and you already hate them. Allentown. <laughs> Bethlehem Steel. By the way, we did a, a show in Bethlehem, a live show, and they booed Philadelphia. Uh, tickets are available for the show at the Tabernacle in Atlanta on meninblazers.com. Waka Flocka, Rog, is among the guests. I crap you not, Rog. Waka Flocka. Did, did you really boo Waka Flocka? There was no booing for Waka Flocka. I regard that as a positive. Okay, bring us home, Rog. I'm trying to think of things you will not boo in Philadelphia. Everton Football Club. Davo. Davo flew here from far away. And by the way, I just want you to say, I'm so... What's her name? What? She, Carmella. 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 If you're out there. No, she's not. She's not here, in here, but we're going to a head house in a minute. Come and have a beer with us. In a head house. Surprise! <laughs> yeah. Um... What do you want me to do, David? You want me Bring to us home. Uh, Bring what? us home, Rog. Talking about home, David. Yeah. Love you, David. Come you on, hear Rog. That? Rog. Hear that again. Love you, David. Love you, Rog. The song Football's Coming Home is currently faintly audible all over England. <laughs> it's so, it so is. As we sit here on a national holiday that is called England's Big Game Eve, I want to raise a glass to Gareth Southgate <laughs> and his wonderful, cuddly, young England squad. They're so cuddly. They're already winners. They've done something incredible. They're an England team that is vaguely likable. <laughs> the English journalist, Jonathan Liu, he wrote about English society and he said, it's a society incapable of sustaining any emotion between seething disgust and jingoistic fantasy. <laughs> Which makes it a bit like Philadelphia, right? And, and I'll say, Philadelphia and England in the World Cup, it makes that kind of behavior that would otherwise seem quite infantile seem fantastic and permissible. And I just want to raise a glass to kids around the world, our youngest kids, Oz and George, who are, who are eight, and thousands of kids across America and Europe who only know a happy, joyous, optimistic England. <laughs> How deluded they are. And for me, that is winning. And I raise it to you tonight, courage. Vendepunk Rog. Warping! Who wants to sex Matumbo? I like snacks! Balls win, balls win! Take that, Gloria! Balls lose. To tweed and waistcoats. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fighting America. Love you, Rog. I love you, Davo. Love you, and we love you, Philadelphia. Thank you. Come here. I think it's bad news for the English game. 
We're not creative enough. We're not positive enough. It's coming home. It's 